0: Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America Podcast. J.J. Cooper and Ben Badler here today. Uh, we're going to talk Caribbean series and international baseball. been a lot that's happened recently, and, and I wanted to get Ben on the, uh, the Skype phone to, uh, to talk about it. So, Ben, I know there's a lot that's happened. There's stuff that's happened today. If people are just kind of uh, catching up on this, uh, catch everyone up on, on kind of the, the developments for, uh, for Cuban baseball today.
1: Uh where to start? <laughs> <laughs> I did not sleep much. Uh last night, I, g- I guess the most recent developments today, uh we're recording this on on a Wednesday afternoon, February, I don't even know what is it the 4th? 4th <laughs> February 4th. So, Cuba's in the, in Puerto Rico right now for the Caribbean Series. They lost their first two games. It was ugly. Uh but two players already have left the team. Uh, the most notable of whom is Vladimir Gutierrez. He's the 19-year-old right-handed pitcher. He was our number 12 prospect in Cuba when we came out with our rankings in August. He and he's really only improved his stock since then because uh, his control has really improved this year. Stuff from from what I've seen has has been about the same. Uh, you know, fastball up to 93, but you look at his 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 body. It's you know like about six three, one seventy is listed which which looks about accurate you can see he's got long lanky arms just a frame that screams out projection you know once this guy starts to add some weight which which i'm sure he's going to do uh you know in the time that he's he's outside of Cuba and and training with with whoever he ends up with um i'm sure he's going to be thrown in the mid-90s at some point very soon Uh, and he also what's what stands out about him too is his curveball it's you know mostly 77 to 80 sometimes even a little harder it's just really hard sharp break good depth a a true swing and miss pitch of all the guys that that I've seen in Cuba I've really seen all the the top pitchers Uh, he he probably has the best curveball I mean I've seen him at least a dozen times I was was trying to count it up last night Uh, I think I've seen him about 15 or so different times Uh, he's really good though and he'll, he'll throw a change up too occasionally it's it's really not a, a big part of his repertoire right now uh, just because he's, he's been a reliever in Cuba, but that's mostly just because of the team he's on as, as some, some really good veteran pitchers and uh, some, some other guys who are just ahead of him on, on the depth chart there. So, uh, you know, once he, once he gets the uh, pro ball, he, he's, he's no doubt going to be a starting pitcher. He has the, the size, the the stuff. And, uh, and, you know, there's some inconsistency certainly with the command, but, all the ingredients are, are there for him to be a, a starting pitcher and the other guy who left the team was a shortstop diner more he's he, he's got really good speed but uh you know he he's not really a, a prospect for me he's you know an older guy who uh you know which, which is fine you know hector olivera is you know about the same age as him and uh you know hector olivera is a, a really good player but more his hitting mechanics—it looks like he's from the Hunter Pence school of uh, of of how to hit a baseball, uh, minus all of the bat speed and power and <laughs> the accompanying tools that, that make Hunter Pence really, really good. Uh, this guy is—you uh, know—I'm not sure he's even a shortstop in in pro ball, just because of the, the lack of arm strength. He's not the smoothest guy out at, at shortstop, but he's—you know—he's playable there in Cuba and the. There, there's really no power that he has. I'm, I'm not crazy about uh, uh, his bat. I, th- I think once you you see you get to see him, and, and I've seen him take over easily over 100 bats over the last year or so. Um, he's more of a fringe guy, but but Vladimir Gutierrez is, is really the the big name that's that, that just left uh, just left the team.
0: And what's notable about this is it's just yet another. I, I I don't know any way to put it. When you look at the amount of talent that has left Cuba. In the last year, it's pretty amazing. You look the last five years and it just keeps adding up. I, I Cuba went into this Caribbean series looking to kind of make a lot much better showing than they did last year. Last year they returned to it and, and really kind of fell pretty flat. And nothing's changed in the first two games. They're you know, combined score of eight to two, and really right now it, it's just notable how I, they the team that used to be the dominant team in the in the Caribbean
1: is now really being dominated, is it not? Yeah, we you know we saw Cuba it was a really disappointing showing last year. And that team was the their champion team via Clara from Syria Nacional. Uh, it, it was reinforced with a few guys. Despon- uh, Alfredo Despagne was there, Yulieski Guriel and and I you know, Norhe Ruiza uh, was there also. Uh but that Via Clara team really was not very good. Uh, in fact, they didn't even reach the second half uh, of the season this year in, in Cuba because they were not one of the top eight teams this season.
0: Right. There was an excuse then, for their poor showing last year. Right. So
1: they're, yeah, Exactly. But this year, the team that they sent is technically Piñar del Rio, which, which won their championship uh, last year in Cuba. But it's heavily reinforced with players who would comprise what the national team would be if they had a, a world baseball classic in 2015. For the most part, that's, this is what you're going to get. There's, there's a few guys missing, you know, Vladimir Garcia, a pitcher who's, who's been out for most of the season with a shoulder injury. Uh, Yaisel Sierra, who's, who's a, you know, one of the harder throwing relievers in, in Cuba who, who is, you know, very inconsistent with the slider and, and the control, but uh, is, is definitely one of their better up and coming young arms. But, you know, they really stacked this team to to try to win this series and it's, you know, I've talked, I've watched both games. I've talked to scouts who were there and their reaction has basically been, are these really the best guys that they have? Because <laughs> these guys are not very impressive so far. I mean, Yulieski Gurriel has, has looked good. Uh, he's, he's made some really good plays at, at second base. And and he's he's got some, he's hit the ball hard pretty consistently during the series. But these other guys, oof, it hasn't been good. I mean, even Norhey Ruiz, he, you know he, he threw you know a couple of nice off-speed pitches but for the most part he, he was up in the zone the the velocity was it sounds like a little bit down from from where I've seen him typically in the past he, he didn't really uh he, he just wasn't his sharpest and and the offense you know it, it's supposed to be the the bats more so than the arms when you talk about Cuba but yeah like you said the, there's just been so many guys who've left the team we look back at just looking back today at those rankings that we made in August of, of the top 15 players in Cuba, four of them are already out of Cuba. Hector Oliveira, Andy Bañez, Guillermo Heredia, and now Vladimir Gutierrez. A fifth, Jose Fernandez, is suspended uh, for reportedly trying to defect from Cuba. And then there's four other guys, uh, Cepeda, Despagne, Guriel, and then Victor Mesa, who's obviously the son of the manager of the mm-hmm. national team victor Mesa, who probably are are never going to leave unless they have official government permission to to do so uh, and, and then even before that moncada leaves tomas leaves before we can even put out those rank put them on the rankings because they weren't even they weren't even in cuba at the time uh, it's just you're right jj there's just so many guys who continue to leave there, there's still talent in cuba Oh, and his younger brother too, who hasn't played yet in the tournament. And, and there's some really good young players in Cuba: uh, Randy Rosa, Reina, Jorge Oña. There's some guys who I like, but but they're still teenagers. <laughs> I mean, right. the, a lot of the big impact talent, the the Cespedes, uh, Abreu, those guys, they're they're just not there anymore, and it it really shows on the field because, again, this is this is really like the Cuban national team this is not the dominican national team that they're playing uh, this is they're playing a team of you know Willie garcia and and guys like that who are you know some guys with some big league experience but mostly guys who are you know double a right. triple a type of guys and it's and 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 they're being they're, they look overmatched right now
0: it, it's it's really uh, the best way i can put it is is if you put together right now well, again, you talk about the World Baseball Classic. If you put together a World Baseball Classic team of Cuban-born players who are playing in Major League Baseball, you would have a very good team.
1: Oh, that would be awesome to watch.
0: <laughs> and there's no comparison right now if you compare that to the Q- – this, which essentially is very close to the Cuban national team. There's no comparison. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, and it's – how many and of these you know, guys would play on if you put that team together? I mean, just ballpark. I'm not sitting asking you to go through position by position, but how many players who are playing right now in the in the Caribbean series, if you put together an all a total Cuba team that includes major leaguers, how many of these guys would be on that in that starting lineup?
1: Two, I think three? The, I think yeah, I think the only two would be Guriel would be on there. I'm trying to think of a Cuban third baseman who who would who would top him in, in the big leagues.
0: It's not Tomas really, is it?
1: <laughs> no, no, um, no, I, I, he, he would play. I, and I think Despaigne would have a good chance to, uh, you know, look, Cespedes is out there. Uh, Soler, there, there's, there's some really good Cuban outfielders. That's, that would be competition, but, but I really like Alfredo Despaigne. Um, you know, sometimes like he, he gets into this <laughs> swing for the fences, home run derby type approach. And, but when he tries to stay, you know, short to the ball and and stays within within an approach that that can be effective for him, uh, he, he's still one of the best players out there. Those two guys would play the rest. I don't think so. I, I, I don't know who would play. You know, there's some guys deeper in the pitching staff, but uh, you know, I, I still like Norhey Ruiz. But you know, if, if he's in the states, he's probably in high class A. You know, the Forest State League, Cal League, but. Um, but but they certainly wouldn't have their their number one. I mean their number one starter would be Jose Fernandez once again once he's healthy. But um, but yeah, really those would be the only two position players that I think would would play on that team.
0: Well, I, I kind of along those lines, also it, it's one of those things where I do wonder kind of for the players who do stay back. One of the other things that they're kind of facing, and it's good that they're getting to go play in Japan and all you know in state sanctioned ways because. I can't imagine there's not going to be a little bit of atrophy. If you're Despanier, there almost has to be a little bit of boredom at sometimes, I would imagine, because you're just not being challenged by players of similar talent.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've heard that from scouts for years about Yulieski Gurriel. I mean, this guy was the MVP in Cuba, and he was like 20, 21 years old. He was the best player in that league, and there's really nowhere for him to go. That was 10 years ago. Yeah, that was t- exactly. That was 10 mm-hmm. years ago. And look, you know, it's—I'm sure—it's fun to play in the Olympics, and it's fun to play in the World Baseball Classic. But there's really nothing, you know, there's really nowhere, no upward mobility for them there. So, all right, now they get to go to Japan, and you see, yeah, Guriel and and Despagnier too performed really well when they went there. But even for them, it, it's. You know, you go back in Cuba, you're playing against the same guys. You're also playing year-round with very little break in between now. And the guys who are actually playing in Japan, it's there's really only like three or four guys that are playing there. Um, it, it sounds like there might be uh, a couple more guys that, that go over to Japan this year. But, you know, e- even when you compare a lot of the Cuban players, if you're a Japanese team – and you compare the available talent pool in Cuba to, you know, the the four A slugger like uh, mm-hmm. like a Brian LaHare type of mm-hmm. guy, you know, Brian LaHare is is better <laughs> right. than a lot of the the guys that are going to be available to them. So it, it's you know why why bid on these Cuban players when you know the four A slugger that you can get from uh you know from a major league team. Might be a, a better option than those guys. So Japan really isn't an option for for most Cuban players. I think they thought Mexico was going to be more of an avenue for. Oops, that got ruined. Yeah, for for players, but that's been squashed now. So it's uh, it's tough. There's there's just not many opportunities for these guys to realistically. In Italy and like, Italy not,
0: does not give you a whole lot more uh, uh, challenge. Italy. The Dutch Major League, I mean, that's just not, not uh, Yeah, you know,
1: maybe things can open with uh, Korea, but it's for, for right now. It's you know, Japan is definitely the best league they can play in. And there's really only a few guys who are, are going to be able to go over there.
0: Well, that that kind of leads very naturally into the the second part of this, which is obviously a lot has changed even in the last couple of months. We've seen that there's steps being made towards. Uh, a, a, liberal, a liberalization of relations between the U.S. and Cuba. And you know, and we've also seen on the baseball side, you've reported this extensively, that in the case like in Mankata's case, we saw uh, this is a, a top player who, and although the circumstances seem still a little bit uh, cloudy as to why, but he's been allowed to leave. This is not the same thing as he basically snuck out during the middle of the night and, and safely made it you know, uh, to, to somewhere else. He was allowed to leave. He's established residence. He gets a general license. We're seeing more of these uh, players getting general licenses where they establish residency somewhere else. And Major League Baseball took a little while. It, it does seem like it has now reached the point of kind of catching up to that. But it took a little while for Major League Baseball to catch up to how kind of the situation and circumstances have changed. It, it feels like, it, again, in general, Major League Baseball... And I, I would even say a little bit understanding, you know, understandably, but it keeps having to try to catch up to how things have changed, and in what is really a, a pretty significant source of major league talent.
1: Yeah, it's uh, you know, <laughs> the the MLB MLB changed its rules recently that you know you can't have the or you don't you no longer need to go through OFAC to acquire the specific license. Well, OFAC made a- them change it, did they not? <laughs> uh, it's it, OFAC has never required Cuban players to have the specific license right. previously. In fact, the the boss of OFAC's licensing division told us and said publicly in uh, when we wrote about this in August 2013, uh, they said no, these players do not need. The specific license to be able to sign with an MLB team, but Major League Baseball's policy has been above and beyond the requirements of the federal government, and they have said even though you, even though you qualify for this general license, you still need to have the specific license, and you need to go through OFAC, and that process is added, you know, three, four, five, up to six months for players. So, for whatever reason, because I asked them last week why they do this again, and they said, "Oh, you know, we're comfortable with our our current policy." And then, right, you know, the 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 afternoon after we published that story last week that said that it's because of MLB that these guys can't sign, and not because of OFAC, which everybody, every lawyer understands. Anyone who has been involved with Cuban players understands this. Any team official who understands the the laws and the rules understands this. And MLB understands this. Mm -hmm. They are not – they are full of extremely bright people in the commissioner's office and they are also full of lawyers who understand this as well. So (laughs) for whatever reason, after that story was published, they sent out a memo to all the teams saying, "Uh, we're actually reviewing all of this and we're – uh, we're we're probably going to change something. It sounds like so, but <laughs> they they went ahead and and they changed their policy and said, okay, we're not going to be requiring the specific license anymore. Uh, you just have to sign this affidavit that uh, says this is you know this is age and identity is not an issue for Cuban players, or it should never be an issue. We we know who these guys are. Mm-hmm. It, it, nobody's saying, oh, Yohan Moncada, that's really you know, somebody else or some I mean, other These guys age. have
0: a long track record of playing in international competitions back to a, an age where, you know, you can track it as a 16-year-old and a 15-year-old. Yeah, year
1: old. I, I mean, it was probably easier to do, you know, 10 years ago. But, you know, remember Oledmus Diaz, this was a guy who, who tried to use a false age, actually tried to pretend he was like, I think it was like nine months older so that he would be exempt right. from the international uh, bonus pools and then through our investigative resources at baseball america which i will refer to as google <laughs> it was discovered that no this guy was not using the Whoa. correct age and that was very easy to. it's very easy to the, find out so there was, there's, there's, there's a lot
0: yankees of, who was there was a yankees player who he kept trying to p- pass himself off as like four years younger and in, I remember the same. I'm, this is several years ago, but I was like, "No, we have you on rosters from, you know, five years ago, and you're four years older than that."
1: And right. pretty much, so there was they, a time where everyone but the Yankees would admit, "No, no, no, that's not his age." <laughs> so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of records of these guys going back into Cuba, playing in junior, uh, playing in the junior league, So you know how you know you know how old they are. Um, that's not an issue, but yeah, you, know, you just basically just have to sign an affidavit now that says you know these are my my residency documents are legitimate and i am not allowed to to go back to cuba stuff like that so Which, um, but that's yeah.
0: cuz like yeah. in the case of a guy like mancada why shouldn't he be allowed to go back to cuba
1: it's uh it's a good question i, I think that's going to throw uh <laughs> it it might throw a wrench into their plans because I'm not sure how they're gonna that they're gonna handle that. It, it sounds like it's it's a uh, from talking to some teams that that have uh, been involved. It sounds like that is a concern.
0: You know, I, mean, I know that all that stems from to try to keep money from getting back to Cuba. I mean, that's what it really all. Not that you actually have to go back to Cuba to get money to Cuba. I mean, that's right. not necessarily something you'd have to do, but. I mean, there are no restrictions. No one says. Uh, again, I know this has been a different situation, but no one tells you, Darvish. Hey, you. I'm you know. To, you know, if you want to play here, I'm sorry, but you, you can't go back to Japan. Or, you know, no one tells you know any of the Dominican players. Well, you know, okay. Well, you know, you have signed an affidavit. You're not going to go back to the Dominican. It, it does seem strange, and it does seem like it's one of those things. Again, where baseball is trying to catch up to this, we have seen players who are defectors. Moncada is not a defector in that he's been legally allowed to leave the country. But we have seen players who have essentially left, you know, without the government's approval, be allowed to come back and visit. It, does, it seems rather odd that there would be a situation where a player who is, has left with the legal sanction and the approval of the government and that you're at, you know, he's being asked to sign something saying you can't go back and visit family just seems odd.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah, I'm not sure if it's so much MLB trying to catch up to the new rules or catch up to any uh, regulations from the the government. I think they're certainly trying to sell it that way publicly. I think it's more just trying to cover themselves (laughs) and trying to protect themselves from any liability issues that may come up because that's, you know that's that's two things that mlb cares about public image and liability <laughs> so uh, a lot of lawyers and a lot of uh you know a lot of image work being done here so i think those are really what their what their concerns are right now so I, I think this is a way for them to try to reduce their liability in the event that there is some issue uh that that could come up but you know, I I don't see it being an obstacle, but it's 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 very new right now, uh, so it's something that probably needs to be given a little bit more thought to. Well,
0: uh, okay, we, we we're talking Moncada. Obviously, he's the under he's rightfully the name that everyone keeps talking about because this is one of the best players to come out of Cuba in in several years. I mean, he he fits in that top group, does he not?
1: Yeah, I mean. Just trying to break him down. You know, I already said this guy's probably going to rank somewhere. You know, if not a top ten prospect, pretty close to it. Definitely a top twenty guy. That's in baseball. Yeah, in all of in all of baseball. I mean, this guy could be you know a cornerstone type guy, and you you want to break him down and say, okay, well, what what don't you like? It's it's kind of nitpicky, really. I mean. Okay, he's not going to play shortstop. It's really not that big a deal. <laughs> he's going to play third base or, or he's going to play second base. He he has a speed right now at least to you could probably put him in center field if you wanted to. Uh, and he's, he's going to play a have,
0: defensive position where he's about, I mean of uh, he's going to play somewhere high on the defensive spectrum. Just not yeah, a high and
1: system. even if you if you said hey we're we're so overfilled our team is so good. That we have to put him in in right field. I think he has the bat for that too. So but look, this is a guy who can play second base, he can play third base. The only you know, the only knock on him, you know, look, I guess he's a switch hitter who's he's better from the left side. His right-handed swing is, is not quite as advanced. But from the left side, it's it's short, quick, compact, bat speed, power, it's all there. Track record of hitting in Cuba. The only thing, if you want to say, is, look, we haven't seen him do it yet against more advanced pitching, even, right. e- even a-ball pitching. We've seen him do it at, in Cuba. We've seen him do it at every international tournament he's gone to. All the ingredients are there. All the attributes are there to suggest that he will be able to hit. There's, there's no real red flags in terms of the pitch recognition or the swing or or the bat getting knocked out of his hands <laughs> that's that's certainly not going to happen um that that would be the only thing if, if you want to compare him to somebody like miguel sano or Corey seager guys who who have done it and who have dominated up to double a so that's really the only risk factor there if, if you want to nitpick and say all right you know we haven't seen this look again he's 19 years old he he could end up being a, a bust just like there's been busts who've been you know top five prospects in the game who've been number one prospects in the game. He he could end up being uh, You know it could end up just not working out at all. There's there's risk there. This guy is not a, a guy who you put in the major league right away. where
0: you're just plugging him in
1: and he's in the middle of the lineup from day one. Right and you know, look there were con- there were a lot of teams that had concerns with Abreu too, but with with Moncada just the tools across the board. And, you know, the track record that exists is is really good and it's really exciting. Yeah, there's there's risk, just like there's risk with, you know, with, with J.P. Crawford. There's risk with every guy who's going to be there. I'll take it a different way.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's look at it from the draft standpoint. He's 19. He, if you compared him to this college class, he would be easily, I, I think, easily, and he's younger than those guys, but... Right. He's a better prospect than any position player in this college draft class. I don't I think, think that there's so, a guy too, I mean, I, who comes. I saw,
1: uh, I mean, who do we have? It's. I mean, it's. It's the, on, the top of our draft board is. I mean, we have Brendan Rodgers there. Right. I, I was going to say I was going to go next
0: to the high school on the college side. You're talking Bregman. You're talking Swanson. You're talking uh, Ian Happ. You're talking. I mean, there's some outfut- there but there's no one. There's no one on the college side who combines. The offensive potential that that Mankata has, with the tools and the defensive possibilities that he has, I, I don't think there's really anyone who combines that. You go on the yeah, high I've, school I've
1: side. Yeah, I've seen. All, yeah, I was. I was going to say I've seen all those guys. I, I agree with uh, everything you just said.
0: You go on the high school side, and on the high school side, I would say that Brendan Rodgers is the one guy who might. You know, if right. you talk when you talk to scouting directors about Brendan Rodgers, he's a guy who jumps out as. He could end up checking off all the boxes you look for for a high school guy who goes 1-1. He really could. Well, Mankata, basically, who is, you know, a, a little over a year older, I think, than, than Rogers, checks off, really, most of those same boxes. Rogers has a chance to say it short. Mancata's not a shortstop. Otherwise, I mean, they're again, they're, they're pretty similar talents. So you, you put that all together... The good news for Mancada is is that you know he's not in the draft, so he's going to make a whole lot more money than Brendan Rogers is over the next year, um, and, and that's where it also this becomes fascinating. The, the best way is you've already spelled it out at BaseballAmerica.com and on Twitter. You're, you know, uh, is that you? If you look at if Roberto Baldequín gets eight mil, which means that you're going to be paying the full tax on him. Again, this is we don't need to get into what the number is going to be because we don't really know, and no one knows. You know, agents have a reason to push out insane numbers. Teams have a reason to kind of put out much lower numbers, and no one really knows where this is going to end up. But someone is going to pay. The best way to put it is: is small market teams are not going to be involved in this because someone's going to pay a whole lot of money, and a whole lot of that money is just going to be a cut, a check to MLB because they're going to be paying a pretty massive tax on this. Are they not?
1: Yeah, I mean, if somebody got very creative somehow, perhaps there's a way, you know, cuz you can split up the bonus payments and say, "All right, we're going to pay you, you know, you know, x million dollars within the first year, x, you know, the next installment will come uh, a year later, so you can almost you can split it up and through the next three calendar years. So you can spread it out a little bit like that. On the other hand, The big market teams can just come in and say, yeah, we'll just pay it you all up front, (laughs) and you'll get paid your money faster that way, which is very appealing in a lot of cases for Cuban players and the people who handle the Cuban players. Uh, That's very, very appealing to them. But, like you said, the biggest issue is the tax, which is payable the one month after the signing period that the player signs in closes. So let's say Moncada signs – In the end of February, the signing period closes June 15th. You need to pay the entire tax on by July 15th. Mm -hmm. So if you pay him, you know, let's say I'll use the angels as an example. Angels paid Baldequin $8 million, you know, between that and, and their other international signings, they're basically going to be cutting a check for $8 million to MLB on july 15th you talk about Moncada and the money he's gonna get it's gonna be obviously a significant significantly higher amount of money uh that that a lot of small market teams are are not gonna they don't have the cash flow and then look if you're a small market team and you look at teams like you know the the a's and the rays that are trading away these guys once they get to salary arbitration the, the the you can only sign him to a minor league contract, so this doesn't account for any future salaries. Which and you can't pay out. You can't
0: buy out those arbitration years with this.
1: Right. You could, you know, eventually, I, I suppose, say, all right, we're going to sign you to, uh, you know, a, a long-term contract. But technically, that can't be contingent within the contract as a, you know, an under-the-table type agreement. That would be a violation of the CBA. Uh, but you you're not this this doesn't even account for any of his future salaries which again for the first 3 years you're paying him the league minimum no big deal but once you get to arbitration if this guy is adding up yeah it's you're talking 20 plus million dollars if if this guy is uh you know the real deal so look it's still a discount of what he would get on the open market but there's a lot of different factors that Teams need to <laughs> account for that, that aren't that aren't just the signing bonus. That's really really these these heavyweight teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees. I think have a really big advantage in, in this situation.
0: The the way I, I was talking about this very exact topic with a uh, smaller market, uh, uh, high level front office official yesterday, who you know is involved in these kind of negotiations, and he said, if you look, the Cuban market has changed in the last five years. If you go back three, four, five years ago, you could you could still look at signing a Cuban player as a way to get a player a, a little bit if you scouted well, you were getting a bargain because you would pay some upfront, but you could uh, the rules at the time were you could sign any of these guys to a major league deal. and mm-hmm. if you did your job well, you know, you would you would look back on it and say, okay, well, we did pretty well on that. And there were a number of players I think you can go back and say, you look back at those deals and and the teams really got bargains on them. I mean, Aroldis Chapman with the Reds, that contract looks pretty good now. Suspedes, um, which his contract was crafted a little differently, but that still looked out looked pretty good. You know, even Puig, Puig's money, which looked massive at the time, now looks okay. That's not you know, that's not terrible. Um, you look at this now, and you just spelled it out pretty well. There's not that there's no bargains because I think if you look at if Abreu continues, if Jose Abreu continues the production he did last year, that contract's going to still look really good. But even with the 19, 20, 21 year olds now, we're seeing that teams are paying at prices that, as you just spelled out, you're not really getting a whole lot of of surplus value from from the contract. Roberto Baldequin is going to have to be really good to mean that he is, again, because you're going to have to, if he hits arbitration and all that, you're, you're looking at that's going to count. You know, I mean, that's going to start adding up. So uh, effectively, he has to provide $16 million of value over his first three years in the majors, plus any bargain you get on that fourth or fifth year for arbitration for it to be a bargain. Now, that doesn't mean you may not get a good player and all, but You've essentially already paid him like he was a $16 million player, correct?
1: Yeah, that's that's really what jumped out to me about the, the some of the recent Cuban signings is, okay, I always assumed, you know, if, if Yohan Moncada ever left, yeah, this guy would be a huge deal. Every team is going to be willing to blow through its bonus pool to sign him. But <laughs> I figured, all right, it'll probably maybe stem some of the under-23 guys from leaving because, you know, it's really not worth it to go back your bonus pool for a guy like Yohan Lopez. Well, then the Diamondbacks say, all right, we're going to give this guy over $8 million and sacrifice having the biggest international bonus pool in baseball. Because now you can't sign anyone for more than $300,000 for the next two years when they're probably going to be – they're probably going to have a terrible major league team again this year. They're probably going to have the biggest bonus pool in 2016. So to me, that is pretty mind blowing for a guy who is a good prospect, not a great prospect, not a top 100 prospect. <laughs> to 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 see te- a team go over its bonus pool by that much and give that much money to a player of his caliber, and it's it's nothing really against Lopez. He's you know he's a nice arm you'd you'd want to add to your system, but. To, to do, do what, what the Diamond Bags did to sign him is is stunning, but, frankly. I, I, I it's it doesn't really add up to me. But you from, know but here's what all this comes back to though.
0: Right now, and what we've seen on the international side, there are so many what baseball has managed to do is put so many restrictions. Everything is funneled that the only place where you could essentially spin freely. There's two places now, you can spin freely on, and again, Lopez is not the case because he's under 23. But the the uh, the established Cuban, or you can spin freely freely in Major League free agency. That's it, you know. And then and Japan and Korea, that's it. And so there's so much money in the sport that it creates almost unexpected or 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 perverse incentives on this in some ways does it not because it uh, again like we just pointed out with Mankata if Mankata's in the draft the amount of money he's going to get probably cuts you know the amount of money that a team would spend to get Mankata probably gets cut I mean again I don't want to by a fourth I mean to a fourth of what it is probably at least if not more and that's one of these things where you you look at it, it it's Pretty much, this was the year... It does seem like, I mean, if, if the impetus is going to come for the international draft, this is the year that's going to really do that because more and more teams are saying, we're just not going to you know, stick to these spending limits on international. And logically, it makes sense that they're not going to because it's one of the few places where they can spend money. But what that also means is, is that it does mean that the smaller markets... You do not hear of the smaller market teams. Smaller market teams cannot go to their owner and say, hey, yeah, we're going to sign these guys, and by the way, you're going to also have to cut a check of equal amount to MLB. The owners and smaller market teams seem to generally say no to that. I mean, we, what is the smaller market teams that are getting, you know, going blowing way through their, their bonus pools?
1: Well, I, I think it depends. Like, if you're, if you're talking about Moncada, I agree if you're talking about being willing to go over the bonus pool, though, I, I think that's something that every team can do. I, I think we've seen the Rays actually do it twice already. You know, this year it's it was to get a, primarily just to get Adrian Rondon. Which, hey, if you can get the the number one guy who you think is is the top player on your board, and it means you have to go over your bonus pool to do it, yeah, I, I think that's probably probably worth it. So that makes sense. But at the same time. You know, if you're if if these guys are leaving, and and, and you're you have a, a Moncada situation, yeah. To me, those are going to be the big market teams that that have to have the biggest advantage in in that arena.
0: Well, but the other thing with that also is is that this is there scarcity always helps as far as if you're an agent, and we are reaching a point of uh, peak Cuban in some ways. I mean, in that there are not many more mancadas coming down the road in the next in the not so distant future are they I mean they're just not there are not that many players of his talent to potentially come over in the next year or
1: two is that fair uh, of moncada's talent yes I, I think he I mean he's a, he's just in a he's kind of his own category to me you stack him up, up against the best teenagers who are still in Cuba uh, you know I've seen the 15 and under team I've seen the 18 and under team that they have. I've seen the best guys who are in uh, Serie Nationale who are you know under 23 years old. Moncada is the best of all of them. Um, he, you know, if, if he was on our Cuban rankings, I, I probably would have put him, you know, number four, maybe number three. You know, Jose Fernandez, I really like him a lot. Um, the the second baseman who's there and who's well, who's suspended now uh, in Cuba and, and kicked off the team, but I, I don't think there's anyone there who's better than him. But the, the best, best players, players in Cuba right have. now, you know, look, I, I love, I love Guriel, you know, Yulieski Guriel. Right, but at uh, his uh, age, he's not going to get that same at this point. Cause I, I, I think he'd be, I think I think he'd go for, for quite, uh, I, I if I were a GM, that's the guy I would pay money for more than, than anybody else. But, I, you know, look, I like him. I like Alfredo Despagne. There's some other guys there who, who I do like. But a lot of the best players are the under 23 players. The guys like, Lourdes is Guriel, um, you know, Vladimir Gutierrez, who is a, a, it sounds like has has left the team and is no longer there. Guys like that, you know, there, there's some really good young players who are in Cuba. Um, you know, Jorge Oña, Randy Arrosarena. There's some other guys who are really exciting, young, up and coming players who've been on their you know their their junior national teams and and are starting to break through on on the Serie Nationale but you never really you can't say okay well we're going to count on this guy coming out next right. signing period you just you know there's there's always rumblings you might hear but you never know when somebody's going to make it out i mean you, you could say oh well hey jose fernandez is is going to come out well now he tried to leave and he's suspended so well, i would imagine he's probably going to try to leave again <laughs> just because he can't play baseball in cuba anymore but you, you never know if that's going to happen, how easy that is for it to happen, or, or when that's going to happen, if if it's going to happen at all. So you just can't plan on on these guys leaving. So you know if, if there's somebody who comes out, whether it's Moncada or Andy Ibanez or somebody else who you really like, it's it those are the guys that you have to go after them, and 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 be willing to go past your bonus pool, even those you know look. <laughs> Vladimir Gutierrez just comes out now. We we don't know which signing period he's going to right. be eligible, and that's you know the OFAC thing could really help him. I, I don't know how long it's going to take for him to get his permanent residency in another country, but if he's if he if he gets it before June fifteenth, then he he could sign with the Yankees and, and the Red Sox.
0: Right. and that's where you really at this point you want to sign before June fifteenth because there are more big market teams who can sign you in this signing period. And are limited, uh, uh, prohibited from signing you next year, then there are big market teams who will be
1: freed up again to sign you next year. Correct. And, and it gives you right. It gives you flexibility. Look, look, let's say he gets you know cleared to sign on. You know this is very early in the process, but let's say he gets cleared to sign on on June first. All right. So now he can negotiate with the Yankees and the Red Sox and and Angels and and mm-hmm. Diamondbacks and Rays, but. Look, it's it's so close to July 2nd that it's not like you have to convince him. If you're the Cubs or the Rangers who can't sign anyone right now uh, for more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars, it's not that hard to convince him to say, "Look, you know, we'll sign you. We just can't right. sign you until July 2nd." <laughs> no big Whereas deal. if you want to do that with Moncada or Andy Banyas, uh, that's that's a little tougher sell. These guys are these guys are going to want to get paid, and they're they're going to want to get paid now. And as
0: will the people involved otherwise uh, yes. with them. Um, well, one last thing before we wrap this up, because the other thing I, I was talking about scarcity, but the other thing that jumps out with this is is the, the the great unknown we have here is is that we're seeing the steps towards a less restrictions between Cuba and the U.S. as far as travel, as far as other things. But if we got to a point where there was um, you know uh, essentially freedom of travel freedom of, you know, like that all of a sudden there was a, a situation where most all Cuban players could play in the in the US which again we're dealing in hypotheticals here but the thing that jumps out about that is is that that's actually something that i think both MLB and the Cuban players neither of them would be really thrilled with all of a sudden everyone's available yeah you know, that's that's too many that's too many players at one time you want a little more scarcity to build up money, you know the, the, the price, but also from the US standpoint, you want a little bit more structure to it. What do you think possibly, I mean, again, this is not, you know, I know you've talked to a lot of people who, it's all speculation right now, but do you have any sense of what may happen over the next two, three, four years?
1: Yeah, just to clarify, your wrap it up question is: What would happen if the embargo dropped? Yes, <laughs> um, just a minor,
0: just a quick, like you know, yeah. you know two <laughs> seconds. We should be done.
1: Yeah, ten seconds. Uh, well, all <laughs> Give right. Me your quick so, yeah, hot honestly, take here, Ben. <laughs> what what I think would happen is, and what I what I think that the Cuban baseball officials would want is some sort of system that's similar to what we see in. Japan mm-hmm. and Korea with the posting system or maybe like a hybrid system also with combining that with what we see in Mexico with the Mexican League mm-hmm. you know I think everybody knows the posting rules with, with Japan and, and Korea they have professional leagues there uh, Mexico is a little bit different there's a there's the Mexican League there if you're signing a, a Mexican player whether it's uh, you know Roberto Osuna or, or, or any other Mexican player almost every time you're signing them directly from a Mexican league team. Right. So you're paying the Mexican league team, you know, a million dollars for the right to, you know, for the rights to, and and a few thousand of that may end up with the player. Yeah. The Mexican league team takes 75% of the money and you're, you're, you're mostly signing 16 year old kids Mm -hmm. uh, from them. So that would not, you know, I, I think there would be some sort of a, a hybrid system, between you know does, does does the Serie Nacional in Cuba become you know an associate affiliate of of like minor league baseball or do they do they do they have a, an affiliation like the Mexican League does right now and teams will just buy these guys straight from you know i guess really what are, what, what the teams are are really run by the government so you're really bu- you would really be buying players directly from the Cuban government now, I don't think you would be buying 16-year-old players. I think you'd probably be buying the more polished guys mm-hmm. who have been in Cuba for, for several years and have been playing in, in Serie Nacional because keeping that league intact and up and running, I think it, I know is very important to the Cuban government and to the Cuban baseball officials. They don't want And there's no incentive for just...
0: baseball MLB to not do that because that's useful in the long run, that's useful for MLB as well.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it's you know, they don't have to worry about, you know, training players and and, and going through, you know, different no. trainers who have to you know, middlemen yeah. and all that kind of stuff to to be able to get these players. It it certainly simplifies things for, for players. I don't think people are wondering, oh, our MLB team's only gonna have academies and in all uh, in, in throughout Cuba and everyone's gonna be in there Well, it's not gonna be like the Dominican Republic I mean you look at you look at Mexico or, or Japan or, or Korea teams don't have academies set up right. there. they have scouts there I think you're gonna see teams hiring scouts who who live in Cuba or you're gonna have scouts who can at some point more freely or just freely go into mm-hmm. Cuban and are gonna be allowed to to scout these players in person but you know, you look even at like Venezuela. You know, for different reasons, <laughs> there's only like four or five teams that really have an academy in right. Venezuela, and there's plenty of talent in Venezuela. And now every team has scouts there too. So I think it's going to be something more similar to that, where where you have scouts who you're going to have to hire scouts who live in Cuba. But I don't think it's going to be something where okay, MLB teams are going to come in, set up academies in Cuba, and, and they're going to sign the top. 16-year-old Cuban players, or if there is an international draft, that these guys are all going to go into a, a draft. I don't think the Cuban government is going to want that either, So, well, well, which is a whole other issue. But we, I think, yeah. I was gonna say, I, I, the other I think, thing with
0: that, though, is, let me ask you, though, is, is that with Siri Nationale, one thing that jumps out with this in the long run is that, which may help Siri Nationale, is... Obviously, there's going to have to be also some give and take, much like there is with the winter leagues in, you know, the Dominican and Venezuela. But this Mm -hmm. is, Serie Nationale plays during the winter. I mean, their schedule, ideally, in the long run, you could also have a situation where some of these players who've come to the U.S. can now play during the winter again, which would be, I think, a significant benefit for Serie Nationale and, and, and also for kind of... Not that there's not always massive interest in baseball in Cuba, but to see these guys back playing again would be huge.
1: Yeah. I think uh, certainly the fans would welcome those players back with, with open arms. It would be, like you said, it's it's always give and take the The Cuban season runs, at least as of right now, I'm sure they would restructure it if, if needed, but it runs from September through April or September through March. And then the championship mm-hmm. is in April. So yeah, you know it, it coincides pretty well with, with what their, with what the major league season is now. You know, if I'm the GM of a team and you know I have let's say Jose Abreu, I don't want him going back to Cuba, and after playing 162 games for us, going back to Cuba and then playing all sorts of winter ball. Right. Um, but you know, look for certain players who who might not be at, at that caliber, yeah, you know, it might or- be something where those guys are at some point able to to go back and, and play a cube. It's like you said, it's it's a long way off, and there's a lot of it's it is a lot of speculation. Uh, but it's it's based on talking to people who are were pretty intimately involved in in this stuff. So uh, there's a lot of options that they that have to sort through.
0: And, and you don't want Jose Abreu going back and playing 50 games or anything like that. But at the same time, there may be a little bit more willingness to let him go back and play 10. You know, which. I mean, it's only ten, but you see that a lot right now in winter ball, where you see guys, especially position players, and it's like they're not going to play every day or anything like that. But hey, they get to go home, and the te- the fans there get to see them play. It's just not you're, you're going to see a, a little snippet of him playing, not you know a, a full season or anything like that.
1: Yeah, I think the you know if that ha- I think the fans would go bonkers for that to be able to to see their favorite players back home and and playing for their playing for their hometown province. I think they would love that.
0: So again, there's a lot that we don't know, a lot that we're going to have to see what happens, but it is truly fascinating right now, and I know you're going to be watching a lot of uh, Caribbean Series uh, games uh, over the next, uh, you know, there's still a, a lot a lot of baseball left to be played, uh, uh, you know, in Puerto Rico, but it's been kind of fun to watch so far, obviously.
1: Yeah, no doubt. It's uh, a couple more Caribbean Series games, and then, then off to the Dominican Republic for the... Week of MLB showcases, some other stuff, uh, some other international prospects there, Cuban prospects, obviously, uh, always something going on there. So busy, busy time of year.
0: Well, thanks again, Ben. I, I do want to remind everyone the prospect handbook is in the, is in our offices now. We are shipping them out. So if you haven't gotten your prospect handbook yet, now is the time, baseballamerica.com slash store. If you get your handbook from us, you get it now. If you're going to order it from a store, you're going to wait a while still. It's not in stores yet. It won't be for a little while longer. And if you order it from us, you're also going to get the supplement where we give you the 31st prospect. We give you one more for, for every team. Uh, so we, we do thank you for the download. We thank you for listening. And we will be back soon with another Baseball America podcast. Thanks, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich.